Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Dr. Christy Kane, a psychologist and former owner and clinical director of two residential treatment centers. Her work focuses on neurology, trauma, mental health stability, mental health empowerment and understanding, and how electronics are affecting the human brain. Dr. Kane is also the author of a new book, Fractured Souls and Splintered Memories, Unlocking the Boxes of Trauma. Dr. Christy Kane, it is wonderful to welcome you back once again and continue an important conversation. Thank you. I'm excited to uh, continue our conversation. And this is timely at any time, but I think even more so, just as our world continues to evolve and life has what feels like even more challenges to talk about trauma and healing and psychological impacts and what to do about it is, I think, even more critical than ever before. And as a psychologist, uh, I would think you probably would agree with that. Yes, because we've placed the whole globe in a disrupted process due to this pandemic. And the things that have gone on in this big process uh, certainly have affected each of us individually, depending on our lives. But overall, it's perhaps been even a more stressful event than any of us would have ever imagined uh, we'd encounter in a lifetime. Agreed. And, you know, I think we've never even had, for most of us, nothing even remotely like this. And it lasted far longer than I think anybody anticipated. You know, I know in my own life when they started to indicate, you know, you needed to work from home and different things, my brain was thinking, oh, yeah, this will be done, you know, 30 days, two months. But it wasn't. And so I think that also was difficult because people had anticipations and by Christmas or by Thanksgiving or certain events and and it didn't happen. Exactly. I I was thinking I was even uh, more optimistic than you at first. I thought, oh, maybe a couple weeks at most. I can't imagine things could lock down for that long. But here we are almost a year and a half later as we're finally beginning to see more of an opening up. But it's still kind of a rocky path. Yes. And there's still a lot of uncertainty. And I think that's a foundational issue with the trauma that we're experiencing is because people have still have fear, people are still uncertain, and there are still people that even though things are opening up, they are still staying home. So there's many different types here, and yet at the core of it is we could call all of that trauma, correct? Yes. Trauma has different layers. Um, You have the chronic trauma, which is where there's a repetitive situation that happens over and over again. You have that big one-time huge event. You can have re-experienced trauma that happens intermittently. And all of those events that are overwhelming, that create fear, that are emotionally difficult for us to process, impact the neurological 
daily activities of the brain and so that the brain processes traumatic events differently than it does normal events. And with this being the case, I would think many of us might not really be aware that that's what's going on. We may feel really off from our life's game, if we want to call it that. We just don't feel quite right and maybe don't want to acknowledge it because, oh, I'm, I shouldn't be feeling that. So if there is that kind of conflict occurring, what's your suggestion to people? It's really important to take time to talk, um, to go visit with a mental health professional, to take time to do the things that bring healing to the brain, that allow you to feel safe and at peace. So we have to counter for our brain the negativity that's experienced because of trauma, both in the aspect of resolving what has created the trauma and also in the aspect of inputting additional activities that balance, that we enjoy, that kind of counter the trauma so that the brain is allowed to resolve and heal. And... I on your website, which well, let's mention the website because I think it's a, it's a good and important resource. So my website is it's either three six zero k a n e dot com or drchristykane dot com, but it's the dr. Yes, that's so important. D r c h r i s t y k a n e. I have to spell it out because there's so many spellings of Kane and Christie. So <laughs> yes, important to do that. So on the website, um, the thing that I'm thinking of is a TEDx talk that you do for youth, and you talk about the brain and the impact of all this, the electronics and technology on mm-hmm. on the brain, and yeah, you know, I take that. And then in the context of this last year and a half, when we've relied so much on technology, and that's just a slice of it, you know, along with how we also use technology. So how do we, how do we factor all of that in to our healing and, and wanting to get a more solid foundation in our life? You know, I'm glad you um, asked that and brought that up because I think Perhaps the most long-term impacted individuals from this pandemic may be the youth. A, because they had their life disrupted from many of the mile markers that they would have enjoyed, like no prom, no graduation, no going off to college as everything went online. Um, They lost that connection with their friends through the isolation. And this generation was already more isolated in some aspects than the generations of the past due to electronics. I mean, my generation, if you wanted to talk to your friend, you had to drive to their house or make a phone call or walk across the street. And these kids spend a lot of their time just in front of a flat screen on a daily basis connected to their friends. And then that pandemic came in, took them out of classrooms, sent them to their homes. And so they had that disruption of structure as as well as that increased electronic usage in two sides. You had those in neighborhoods and communities where they had limited electronic resources. And so they had a huge impact in their educational system because they couldn't access anything. And then you had those who had plenty of electronic usage who were then just 
continuing their increased stimulation. And we know by all the research that's out there that too much time in the electronic world for the adolescent brain is not healthy. And so I think what we're going to see in that generation is perhaps a longer impact of this pandemic. And the way that we need to counter all of that for all of us really is balance. Anytime I think we spend hours and hours doing a certain activity, especially if it overstimulates the brain and is isolating, is not healthy. We've all experienced brain fatigue, spending too much time on the computer, and then at the end of the day, we just feel exhausted. And so there's that balance. How much time do you spend outside um, running around playing with friends? How much time do you spend socializing face-to-face? How much time do you spend reading a good book? You know, I when I lecture across the country, I point out to even adults, we don't memorize anymore. You know, if we need a phone number, we used to have hundreds of phone numbers in our brain. Now, if we need a phone number, we look it up from the little computer we carry around. And so we have to go back to some of those basics of balance. Human touch that's appropriate, face-to-face conversation, being outside, all of that can help the young people as well as ourselves. Exactly. And and having had a year and a half of this, now by having more of an uh, awareness, then we, uh, we as the adults in these young people's lives can help to direct uh, and work in conjunction to explain probably what this process is, why this is important. Yes. You know, it's interesting. Electronics came into our world, and I think as adults, we thought it was a great babysitter. You know, we could track our kids. We didn't realize that there were impacts to the neurological developing brain. We didn't realize that there were safety issues because that's where perpetrators go to find their victims. And so now we're kind of stepping back and saying, these are great devices, but let's use them appropriately. You know, let's use them in balance. I tell parents one thing for sure, those electronic devices shouldn't be in bedrooms for kids because it disrupts sleep patterns. So we need to find a good balance and help educate our young people as to really all of the facets of those electronic devices, in particular video gaming and social media. Yes, and and the social media has its own uh, long conversation, but I think we've certainly been aware of some of the issues with that. But that's where just too much information that is just off the cuff has such a, a really deep and, and painful effect on a young person's life. It does. As a matter of fact, evidence-based research shows in particular young women who spend more than a couple hours a day in that social media world have dramatic increases in depression and anxiety because it's so comparative and it's there's so much negativity. I mean, bullying, for example, is so different in today's society because it's done electronically. And it does a couple things with that. One, you can't get away from it. And second, when in, in my days, if you were going to be unkind to someone, you usually had to do it face-to-face. And that face-to-face connection allows us to begin to feel sympathy and empathy for a person. And so it brings in a filter of, you know, that's not kind. I shouldn't say that. But in the electronic world where that face-to-face is eliminated and it drives the neurotransmitter dopamine, that bullying becomes so cruel. And 
so invasive into people's lives because it just spreads so fast. And so we see that impact. And so you're right, that social media world. And the sad thing is a lot of parents think that the kids are just hanging out and, and they may have their passwords and be checking and think they're sharing all this good stuff. But what they don't know is those social media platforms also have other accounts that parents don't always know about where there's a lot of dark stuff shared and very edgy stuff. And, you know, I was just speaking at a resource officers conference in Texas and their number one issues is sexting because kids are sharing inappropriate pictures. Girls are taking pictures on themselves. Boys are sharing it. And then, of course, vaping. But that social media world is so negative. And the other thing I thought about, you know, because we asked this question is, as we look at these mental health issues for young people that are so high right now in our country, and you wonder, well, why? I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, if something bad happened in the world, someone had to tell you, or you happened to have to watch the news. Our kids are bombarded through that social media platform with negativity on a daily basis, on a global scale. And that takes its toll on the, on the, emotions of the young people. And then in the midst of all this is the pandemic where we are really literally cut off from each other and maybe even then looking at the social media or any of the media platforms so much more that uh, that in itself has undoubtedly created a lot of trauma in, a, in all of us, but certainly in the, these developing brains. Yes. And so we're kind of layering these traumas, aren't we? Yes. We're altering the normal pathways and the pandemic comes into play, the stimulation of all the electronics, and then we're seeing these climbing rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide ideation for our young people. It's almost like we've created the perfect storm. So at this point then, we're really in the middle of it, and we're, as we are coming out of the pandemic and what do we what do we need to do as parents as and as just the adults in our community what do we do for our young people i think the best thing that we can do is go back to some of the old fashioned simple processes of life go camping away from concrete and electronics have those deep conversations go out and play tag play basketball you know, watch a YouTube video and make something together. Get the young people talking. Allow them to express their emotions. We need to help diminish fear. We need to help kids to believe that this is a wonderful and good place. It's interesting. There's research out of UC Davis that shows that the brain by itself, because of the limbic system, which is our, has our fight and flight mechanism, is kind of designed to see the negative. And because of that, we have to counter it by providing lots of positive moments because our brain is designed to keep us safe. It walks into a room and says, is this a safe place? And so it's that half empty glass, but the research shows we can create more positive processes in the brain if we spend a lot of time doing those things or uplifting. I mean, even there's research that shows helping our young people have meditative spiritual moments and i'm not necessarily talking religion i'm talking those moments that help us explore 
our values in life and why things are worthwhile can heal the brain. And so it's really inputting all that positive back in their lives for them. And so this is a critical time to really be aware of it. Here we are, you know, with summer, summer vacations, these more of the this type of opportunity to spend this time together. And as you said, with camping, that could definitely then be a, a big part of it, getting out in nature and appreciating the, that part of our world. Yeah, it's, it, you know, as we look at the research and we look at brain development and for young people, in some ways it's not rocket science. It's really going back to those basics. You know, people might call them the old-fashioned values, the old time frames, like, you know, learn to crochet. It's good for the brain. You know, learn, uh, carve a piece of wood. There's just some of these tactile, basic things that – it seems like the older generation used to do all the time and we seem to be too busy to do. And yet we can spend way too much time on Facebook or Pinterest, right? Right. Or Snapchat for our young people. So yeah, it's just those old fashioned, simple, basic activities. And look at these electronic devices, these incredible cell phones that all of us seem to have attached to our body, like another appendage. Mm -hmm. See that they are a tool and not who we are. You know, I remind young people when I lecture across the country and adults, we control the cell phone. It doesn't control us. And yet I think we've flipped our world to where we think they control us. They go off and our brain goes, we have to see what's on there. And we really don't. It's okay if the phone makes noise and we set it aside. And one important thing to probably look at with this is, is that it can be like alcohol or a drug. We look at those things, we know they can be addictive, but so can this device. Yes. there's. You know, it's interesting. When I've lectured in high schools and I do assemblies, you know, and I'll ask the kids, how many do you think your electronic device is addictive? And they'll all raise their hand. So they know it. And there's evidence-based research that shows that the cell phones um, play with the dopamine neurotransmitter, which is the addictive neurotransmitter. And so they know that, but we, I think we just have come to expect it's just part of our life, and yet it needs to be balanced. You know, it's unfortunate that the pandemic, in a sense, forced us all into the electronic world, but it's also beneficial because if it wasn't, I, I, the whole world would have came to a screeching halt. And so there's so many beautiful blessings about the electronic device if we can use it in balance. I mean, I can't imagine how businesses would have continued their workload if you couldn't have been able to do, you know, face-to-face electronic type meetings. And so there were great benefits, but then there was also great fatigue as well. And so, you know, it's, it's a fine, delicate balancing act. And being aware that that's what it is, that we have to find balance. That's a, a big key word here, isn't it? To find that in our lives. It is. Because anytime, and when I talk about the mental health of human beings, I think we have to switch to where mental health is talked about in a positive. So often when we use the terminology mental health, we go to the negative. We think of mental health issues like bipolar, depression, 
um, borderline personality disorder, those are mental health issues. Our mental health is who we are socially, physically, cognitively, and emotionally. Those four areas is our mental health in a positive aspect, and we need to be doing something in each one of those areas on a daily basis. We've gotten better in trying to take care of our physical health, but in our emotional health, we're oftentimes in that triage, emergency state when something goes off the rails. And we have to shift as communities, as societies, individuals to say, we need to be preventative and proactive in mental health. So what am I doing every day cognitively for my brain? What am I doing socially for my brain? What am I doing emotionally for my brain? What am I doing physically? That's our mental health. And if we can balance those, we will see decreases in the rates of anxiety and depression and overstressed and overwhelmed and suicide ideation. And that is really so enlightening, logical, but, you know, the way that you phrase it that way, to make us aware that, yes, as we look and at and take care of our physical body, our our mental state really needs that same sort of attention and work. And to that end, I, I feel that... You have a new your book. You were telling us that, that this was uh, in process when we last spoke. Now, fractured mm-hmm. souls and splintered memories, unlocking the boxes of trauma, is out. And here is an incredible journey. That in reading the this experience, there is a way that builds the awareness in ourselves, and we can find healing. Yes, the the book is really designed to give people a more intimate look into the therapeutic office. You know, one thing I found interesting is we brought mental health out of the closet as far as like mental health issues, and we started to talk about it. It's still a mystery to a lot of people like, well, what do you do in therapy and why does it work? And so this book really gives an open picture of the journey of one individual as they heal with their therapist. You know, the other thing about mental health is we're talking about it more than ever before. We're talking about mental health issues, but we're oftentimes talking about it with the wrong information. And so like my book and others, I think we can start getting a better picture of what mental health issues really are and how we can heal. And, you know, I've, as people have read my book, I hear the comment of, it's a it's a hard read because it's a tough story, but it's a powerful read. And then they will say, I wasn't sure it would relate to my life, but it really helped me understand that I can heal from any of the traumas that's happened in my life. And I think that's the point of the fractured soul splintered memories, unlocking the boxes of trauma is to help all of us realize we can all heal from the difficulties we've experienced in our lives. And and that couldn't be a more critical message at this time. And and perhaps we've been talking about youth. So we as parents or as their mentors or teachers, we in taking such a journey and, and sharing what might be relevant can also demonstrate and, and really nurture that within our kids. Yes. And 
as parents and for ourselves, we need to be educated when we talk about mental health issues. So, for example, when I go into high schools now, statistically about one in every five, one in every four young person may be dealing with a mental health issue. But oftentimes you walk down a hallway and every kid has anxiety almost and every kid almost has depression. And yet the statistics don't support that. And so we need to begin explaining you are experiencing anxiety, yes, but you don't meet the diagnosis and that anxiety is a part of life. You are experiencing sadness. You are experiencing depression but you don't meet the diagnosis, but that is a part of life. Education in the field of mental health issues needs to take place so that we don't self-diagnose. It's interesting, we don't usually physically self-diagnose. I don't know, we might go online and, and, and you know try to figure out what we have before we go to the doctor's office. But it's interesting in the mental health world, a lot of people tend to self-diagnose without going to see a professional. And I would say it's time. You know, every single person can benefit from going to an office where it's purely confidential, where they can sit down and talk about anything and know that they're kind of going to just be allowed to open up and someone can offer some direction and guidance. Sometimes I refer to mental health professionals as like a mirror or a sage to give you a chance to just reevaluate your perspectives. Every person I've ever talked to who has seen a mental health professional that they felt was effective benefited, even if it was one session. And so as adults, we need to go visit and not self-diagnose. For our young people, if we feel that there's something going on, we need to take them so that we're really treating it effectively instead of just talking about it in hallways and self-diagnosing. And hopefully then with the book and with conversations like this, we can help people to, all of us, to really be much more open to this process. Uh, Even if it is one or two sessions, something that's going to uh, help us to just have that better awareness and and, uh, make it part of our life. Agreed. I agree completely. Um, there's power in the process of communication and opening up and talking about feelings. You know, the one other thing I found interesting as a mental health professional is you will hear us say in our communities today such things as, well, you shouldn't feel that way. And I have said to many people, should doesn't belong with emotions. We need to feel what we feel. It's our actions that can potentially cause harm. But if one is angry, we need to allow them to process through that anger in ways that is effective instead of saying, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Because when we shut down emotions, we begin to create trauma that can be lifelong impacting. And when we shut down emotions, then we deny a person the skill set to learn to process emotions effectively, which then can lead to potential violence or potential suicide ideation or other activities. And so as a society, as a whole, part of therapy is helping us allow 
those emotions to be felt and to be processed in effective and positive ways in, in, and in a safe place in a therapeutic office. Absolutely. Uh, there is that safe space and th- that is so beautiful. It's it, That's the big message. That's the great takeaway that we need to hear and to really embrace in our own life and to share it so that others, too, uh, are experiencing that. Embrace it as well so that we have this much healthier world. Agreed. Very much so. Well, Dr. Christy Kane. There's so much that more that we could speak about, but I think we, you have really captured the essence here. Uh, seeing your website, reading this new book uh, is really going to make a difference for all of us. Fractured souls and splintered memories. Let's mention your website one more time so people will get more information and the resources. Okay, so three six zero k a n e dot com. Excellent. Well, again, thank you for your knowledge, your insights, and I'll say the wisdom because it's really very simple at its base, but we need to just put it into action. So thank you for bringing that to us this morning, and thank you for who you are and all you do. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me back on your show. You're so welcome. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Dr. Christy Kane and Sunday Morning Magazine with Beverly and Derek Joubert. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or to share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of taking some time in nature to grow in the awareness of our connectedness to all life. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.